Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Nerd Wallet. Finance Smarter. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. The code is more what you'd call guidelines than actual rules. <laughs> Parlay? <laughs> yes. Parlay? Um, that actually leads us directly into a little Facebook feedback. <laughs> That's a thing. Well, it could have. Uh, it's not listener mail. It's well, through okay. our Facebook. Yeah, so Facebook. Uh, I hadn't heard it that way before. Uh, yeah, I, I just made it up. So Facebook feedback. Lots of F's in that. Uh, this listener mail comes to us from well, Facebook feedback comes to us from someone whose name I can't pronounce because my pronunciation for names and 
Indian languages is terrible. But uh, I'm going to give it a shot, and he can write to me on Facebook and tell me how wrong I got it. Antriksh says, Hey, I've got an awesome podcast idea. The ethics of pirating media you have already bought. Well, if I'm not that clear, here's an example. You buy a music CD and you travel somewhere. You had the music from the CD on your computer, but you accidentally deleted it. Is it right to download the music from an illegal source, maybe torrents? Downloading without purchasing is illegal anyway, but people argue that this is ethically right. I'm one of them, too. You could read this as listener mail, and you can mention my name, too. Uh, I tried. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about piracy ethics. You know, when is it is it ever all right to download something uh, for free? You know, whether you've purchased it or haven't purchased it, and sort of the issues that surround this and make it more complicated than you might first imagine. Mm-hmm. So let's get started, shall we? Yes. Now it, it does become more complicated as you start uh, crossing international boundaries. If yeah. this is, uh, if it was a, a piece of music recorded in, say, Britain, uh, and you were in Germany when you had your files deleted and you wanted to download them, uh, it makes things even more complicated. Unfortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately for the pirates, I suppose, um, there are uh, treaties. In between these different countries, uh, including those but, uh, around the uh, World Intellectual Property Organization, or WIPO. Wow. Yeah, I, I focus mainly on the United States because that's, for one thing, is the easiest uh, for me to get information on in a language that I can read. Yes, it's yes. My... That is our sphere of, of operation, of course, so it's, it's a little easier for us. But, um, you know, Antrix, we do know from his frequent feedback on Facebook, hey, that's lots of alliteration there. Yeah. Um, does live in India. Uh, so, you know, he might have a different perspective than we do. Right. But in the United States, uh, copyright law as it stands is already fairly complicated. Yes. Okay, so in general, a work created on or after January 1st, 1978 has a copyright that will last through the duration of the author's life plus Mm. 70 years. Yes. Uh, Before January 1st, 1978 is more complicated. Um, And also you could, uh, from the ones from before then, corporations and and authors had the opportunity to extend copyright further if they wanted to, Mm -hmm. which could not bring it up to the same amount of time as if it were uh, created after 1978. But it's it's complex. So uh, what copyright allows you to do is it, it... allows you to dictate how uh, how your your content can be purchased and distributed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's say that I create an idea. I've got it under copyright. What I choose to do with that content, I, that content belongs to me, and, and I can license it out to people as I see fit. Uh, that's really a lot of the arguments I see kind of ignore this whole licensing issue, which is, to me, right at the very heart of the problem. But um, go ahead. You were Uh, about to say something. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, at least in the United States, um, let's say you're an author and you're writing a book. Well, as soon as you finish it and you've, you've, you know, say, printed it out, it's in a fixed form and Mm -hmm. you're done with it. Copyright already is 
protecting that work. Right. In the United States, as soon as it exists in a fixed form, it is under copyright. You are the copyright holder. Um, you do not have to file paperwork for it, although for some protection, uh, it does help you to yeah. do that. Um, but you've already got it. It starts right then and there. Now, say you want to have your work published. You'd like to see your name in print. You want to go on tour and do book signings. This is the dream that you've always been wanting to pursue. Well, you're going to need a publisher to help you with that. You could self-publish it, but you're still, you know, unless you happen to own a printing press. It's going to be hard to distribute. Yeah, you're, you're, you're going to want some kind of publishing help with it. So let's say, uh, let's, let's say you're really interested in having somebody like Random House publish your work. And so you submit it and they're, they're gaga over the whole thing. They love it. They love the idea. They want to, uh, print it, but you're going to have to license the copyright to them in order to do that. And you're going to sign a long agreement. Uh, that allows them to be the publisher to do that. And so you're basically uh, giving them access to your copyright, uh, if you will. So at that point, um, making unauthorized copies affects the company, too, and not just you as the author. Right. And then we have to kind of uh, address something that's – there's a lot of confusion around this as well, the concept of fair use. Mm-hmm. Fair use – Definitely has its place, but unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on which side of the argument you happen to be on at any given time, it's not firmly defined. Uh, in general, fair use allows a couple for a couple of different um, exceptions to the whole copyright issue. One is if you are using material for educational purposes and you are uh, commenting on it, or you are um, you know using it to illustrate a point you are allowed to use a certain amount of information uh, without it being considered a violation of copyright. However, that certain amount is up for discussion. There's no there's no clear definition. There's no, like, two paragraphs is the limit, and over two paragraphs is copyright violation. Or 40% is the utmost limit you can go to. There's nothing set in stone. It ends up being a case-by-case basis. Right. If you're going to use uh, a portion of someone else's work in your own and the person whose copyright uh, is in question, uh, you know, feels that is, is being infringed upon, they take you to court. It is ultimately going to be up to uh, the judge to decide, you know, how much is being used and for what purpose. If it, 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 it relies on a couple things. It needs to be transformative. So if you've, uh, for example, Weird Al Yankovic takes songs that are already, um, popular and will remake them into a parody, often puts it in a different key and rewrites new lyrics to it and makes subtle changes to the song to make it his own. But it's essentially a song that is recognizable to people. Yeah, parody is protected. Parody is protected, but what he has done is transformed the original work and and put it under a parody. So he's okay with that. Now, if you took uh, an entire poet's poem and used it in your work and claimed it was your own, then you're probably going to get in trouble. Right. Or if you if you end up writing a an essay, let's say, that makes the exact same point as the essay that you are using to illustrate your point, mm-hmm. there might be an argument there that that's just plagiarism and copyright violation. That you're not you're not using this in a, a new way of or or really using it to educate or illustrate. You're just borrowing someone else's stuff and uh, and using it as part of your own material. Mm-hmm. 
But you can also make copies of things that you purchase, intellectual property, essentially. You can make copies of IP for archival purposes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, that means that, let's say that you bought... This really came about especially back during the whole vinyl album and cassette era. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Let's say that you would buy a vinyl album. Uh, Kids, if you don't know what that is, actually, you probably do, because they're kind of coming back with the whole DJ stuff. But That and our our tech stuff audience is probably into that anyway. Yeah. But, uh, But you might want to make a copy of that because the, this is physical medium and uh, media can sustain damage and wear and tear over time and you still want to be able to listen to that content after that media has died out or mm-hmm. perhaps perhaps even it gets to a point where the equipment you have that can play that media no longer works mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah uh, so you want to be able to create an archival copy now this is a copy for your own personal use it's something that you're keeping so that you can again maintain uh, the ability to access that material the the license that you have essentially purchased to that material for a while that in the United States that became really pretty much impossible to do with uh, legally right because Companies were putting DRM on top of uh, of their physical media, like let's say CDs mm-hmm. or DVDs. And in order to be able to create a copy, you had to break the DRM. Right. But breaking the DRM was illegal. So yes. even though it wasn't illegal to make the copy, it was illegal to break the protection that prevents you from making a copy. So. In effect, it became illegal for you to make a copy because there's no legal way to get around it. Yeah. Now, it's not going to come as any big shock to any of our listeners that the uh, the world of computer technology has completely changed uh the need for copyright protection in the eyes of people who own copyright. Right. Now, I mean, you had uh, a 600-page book. You know, in 1822, the only way anybody was going to make a copy of that was by hand. And that right then and there is going to be a deterrent to most people to make another copy of the book. Now, I mean, obviously, the the printer is going to have the printing press and be able to make more copies of it. And you could do that. um, But it's not like everybody on the street is going to be able to do that. Now that everyone has a computer and it's easy to make copies of let's say for for the purposes of this particular part of the conversation, unprotected, anything that's unprotected like uh, electronic books, uh, digital music files, digital video files. I mean, if there were no protection at all, uh, it would be easy to you know rip new copies of that and give them to everybody you knew, distribute them on the Internet freely in a matter of seconds. In fact, that happens all the time. Sure, sure. So DRM is, an, is uh, digital rights management is an attempt on the part of the copyright owners and the publishers of that content uh, who have a, a stake in it too now that they have a license to to produce and distribute the content um, it is an attempt for them to protect it and to get people to actually fork over the money for it um, the thing is they have also pushed government in general in multiple countries to help them do that by lobbying intensely for uh, very thorough and some would suggest say you know draconian measures that help them protect their DRM and leave it in place which is what the uh, which is what's often uh, used in conjunction with the uh, Digital Millennium Copyright Act here right. in the United States yeah DMCA 
you probably heard that term before, especially if you live in the United States. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I was talking about with the DMCA, where it it made it a criminal act to try and either bypass DRM on a DRM product mm-hmm. or to create software or some other tool that would allow you to bypass DRM. Yeah. So it, it, if you created a tool that would break DRM. And uh, and even if you had never done it yourself, like if you never created a file, just creating that tool was illegal mm-hmm. under DMCA. Yes. Now, of course, the entertainment industry in the United States is very, very big and very, very powerful. Yes. Um, the DMCA was signed into uh, into law on October 28, 1998 by yep. President Bill Clinton. Yep. Um, and it did bring the United States into compliance with two different uh, WIPO treaties. Um, which uh, uh, basically is the WIPO Copyright Treaty and the WIPO Performances and Phonograms Treaty. Now, everybody who's all the countries that are are on board with these treaties um, have an obligation to protect copyright from on things from other countries. Uh, just as much as they would anything that was copyrighted in their own country. So, um, if somebody in Russia wanted to. Uh, copy and distribute uh, Madonna's latest album um, and Russia has signed on to the WIPO treaty, they are, uh, the government is legally obligated to protect it as though it was somebody, a Russian artist who had also recorded and and released an album in its own country. Right. Now let's get even more complicated with this whole digital media stuff, Mm -hmm. okay? So we've already established the idea that creating digital copies from physical media can be uh, well, depending on the exceptions also, because DMCA does have some exceptions that that tend to get in, uh, in, introduced every three years or so. Mm-hmm. But um, but creating digital copies of physical media can be difficult and in some cases illegal uh, because you have to violate the DRM. Mm-hmm. Another reason why this is a complicated issue is that it's hard to wrap your mind around stealing a digital file because really what you're doing is you're creating another instance of that file right it's, you're, it's bits and bytes yeah you're not taking anything from someone for example if i own an album that chris wants so uh we're going to call it um uh, let's see uh, the ramones greatest hits let's say i've got the ramones greatest hits on vinyl and chris is thinking you know <laughs> i'd really like to listen to blitzkrieg bop and Jonathan's not looking, I'm going to take that album. And he takes the album out of my house. Well, I no longer can listen to the Ramones Greatest Hits because my copy has been stolen. But let's say that I have the album in digital file format on my computer. And Chris says, you know, I want to listen to Blitzkrieg Bop. I'm going to copy that file off Jonathan's computer and put it on my computer. Well, I can still listen to my copy of Blitzkrieg Bop. As far as I can tell from my perspective, nothing bad has happened because everything I have is still where it should be. Mm -hmm. But that's a case of theft. It's just not a case of theft that is analogous necessarily to stealing physical goods. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, is where the, the a lot of the arguments center around this concept: the idea that if you're not if you're not really bereft of something, if if the object is not has not left your possession, how can you call it stealing? Well, this is where we get to the concept that when you purchase IP, you're not really purchasing the IP; you're you're licensing it. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like if I buy a book from Chris, like Chris has written a book and he's published the book and I buy it from him, I know I don't own Chris's work. 
that that ownership does not transfer to me. Right. That that intellectual property doesn't transfer to me. Just my access to it. That's a license to access that IP. Mm-hmm. And if you think of it in terms of licenses, then these questions start to get a little easier to understand. Now, the question we were specifically asked was about getting an illegal copy of something that you already own legally and where does that fall ethically and i guess that really depends on upon whom you ask yeah yeah uh, i mean speaking speaking as a recording artist myself um uh, you know long time listeners will recall that i am uh, i've been in several bands and have done recordings with with uh, a few as well um i sort of sympathize with the big name artists who have uh basically hollered about the uh about people stealing their music because you know for them that's how they make their living um so basically people are are taking away a potential source of revenue now it doesn't you know, you could argue, you could make the argument, hey, I know these guys are on name of major label here. They're only getting a buck for every CD. And I'm basically only stealing a dollar from their coffers of money that they're making touring. That's no big deal. But and to them, you know, if suddenly thousands of people are doing that, then it's, there's a possibility that they might have to go get a day job. And I mean, seriously. But there's also, there's also, <laughs> I'm kidding. To make that, to make it more complicated, of course, this, in this particular situation, we're talking about someone who has purchased mm-hmm. that, that product legally has converted it into digital media, which again is legal. Yes. Uh, but then loses the digital copy and does not immediately have access to the physical copy. Is it wrong to download those files again for free. I would say that here's the problem that I have with this. The problem is that by downloading those files for free, you are participating in piracy. From, from your perspective mm-hmm. as the consumer, it's not a huge deal, right? You're getting access to files that you originally had access to in the first place. So for you, it just seems like it's it like nothing's really changed. But what you're doing is you're actually trafficking with someone who is distributing these files for free. And that means that they have violated copyright. They don't have the right to distribute that content. They are doing something that's wrong, and you are a part of that. So... I would say that ethically on your end, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but in a bigger picture perspective, it's the wrong thing to do. I think legally it's more black and white. Oh, well, legally it's black and white, but ethically and legally yeah. are two totally different concepts. Well, no, that's that's what I wanted to stress is that there there is a, a clear division there. You know, legally, yes. There's really no question, according to these these laws that have been set up in, in so many countries and the treaties that they have made to protect them, yes, that is technically theft um, or at least technically piracy. Uh, but ethically, you know, from the user standpoint, it's a lot murkier. From the artist standpoint or the the author standpoint, it's like, hey, you know, you bought a copy of my book. I can't help it if you left it on the train. You know, that doesn't give you an excuse to go to the library you know, photocopy the the entire thing and make yourself another copy for free. Right. You know, that's not that's not my fault. Right. Right. <laughs> but yeah. From the a, user's point, you know, I've already paid my twelve ninety five. Right. That's a that's a very good point. I'm glad you put it that way because the 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 example I used when Chris and I were just kind of chatting about this casually before the podcast was I said, well, what if what if you um. Uh, see, how did I word it? Oh, oh, let's say you you buy a book. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then. 
the book gets damaged beyond repair or you lose it or whatever. At some point, you no longer have access to that book, but you purchased it. Right. That does not give you the right to go out and steal another copy of that book. Right. But then you have the argument of, hey, you're talking about physical media here. By stealing a physical object, you have denied the the publisher or bookseller or whomever the right to sell that. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're talking about digital, again, you're making a copy. You're not stealing a physical object. Right. But it's, again, if you go back to the license argument, as you did, because you were talking about going to the library and copying a book, right. that's still not legal. Right. It's, and is it ethical or not? Well, it depends on upon whom you ask again. Like like I said, they, uh, like Randy Cohen, mm-hmm. who writes for the New York Times magazine, uh, Randy Cohen uh, writes about ethical issues, and he was specifically asked about a case where someone had bought a hardback copy of a novel, mm-hmm. and she wanted to be able to read an electronic copy of that novel, but there was no ebook available for purchase. Right. So what she was wondering was, is it wrong to download a pirated electronic copy of that book, having already purchased the book? Through legal means, and there's no there's no legal recourse to get an electronic copy. Mm-hmm. Mr. Cohen said that he thought ethically that was all right. Wow. Yeah, that blew my mind too. I I'm not so quick to jump on that. Um, here here's the thing: if you went and you purchased a book and you brought it home and scanned every single page and created a digital copy yourself, I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. Because I think of that as fair use. You're doing that for archival purposes, or you're doing it. You're 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 space shifting the work, correct? Like right. you're you're shifting it from a physical medium to a digital medium. Right. Um, I have no issue with any of that. What I have a problem with is the fact that by going to an a, a source where they are distributing this, you have taken part of an illegal practice, and. That means you're supporting an illegal practice. Now, now from your perspective, you're doing it very ethically because you've already purchased that content. It's not like you uh, are getting around purchasing the content again uh, because, again, there's no legal recourse for you to get that ebook. Mm-hmm. Ethically for you, I guess I don't have an issue with it. But again, big picture, you're supporting a larger piracy effort that – Violates the distribution portion of copyright. Mm-hmm. So, while while I would say that I would feel as on my own end that I would have you know I don't have a big problem with doing this. If I thought about my actions beyond just the fact that this is benefiting me, to this is supporting an entire illegal industry, then I that's where the problems start coming in for me ethically. That's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's it's a. A tough question. Um, I, I can tell you. Let me be perfectly honest here. I'll, I'll just to lay it out on the table. There was a particular uh, television series that came out in the UK. Yes, uh, several years ago. He's trying not to smile because we just talked about this in a completely unrelated light the other day. So it's really funny. So this particular <laughs> television series came out in the UK, and there was no legal way to get access to a U.S. version of this uh, U.K. television show. The only thing I could have done is I could have purchased the U.K. version of the show and then bought a U.K. or region-free DVD player Mm -hmm. so that I could watch the show. But other than that, there was no way for me to do it. Yes. 
the only thing that I could do if I wanted to watch the show was to download it illegally. Mm-hmm. Subsequently, the show became available in the United States, and I immediately went out and purchased a copy. Right. Because I did download it illegally. I, I left that part out. I illegally downloaded a television show that was not legally available in the United States. Uh and I didn't feel badly about it because I was like, I would pay for this if there were a way for me to pay for it. And I, I will pay for it if there ever is a way. And I did. doesn't justify my actions still. that I, I don't think my actions are really justifiable because ultimately the way I acted was that I said, I want access to this content and I'm going to get it. But there is nothing in the universe that guarantees you access to any content. That's true. You do not have the right to access content just because it exists. This is where Jonathan goes on a rant. Because, I mean, I, I am, I have fallen guilt, guilty of this. In the example I used is a perfect example. By the way, in case you're wondering, the show was spaced. Oh, so uh, it was a different show. Yeah. But I do remember. Up, dude, you don't need to tell him I've done it more than once. <laughs> no, that's not the one you were talking about. Uh, I think I was talking about Battle Royal, wasn't I? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Battle Royal, which I subsequently ended up deleting eventually, but that was another example early on. Uh, no, spaced was what I was thinking of as the UK show. I was thinking you meant a different show that we were talking about was someone had uploaded to YouTube. And oh, that you, was mean, the only the, place you that- mean the American pilot for uh, the IT crowd? <laughs> and you want me to just keep on naming things but and dig that- a hole even deeper? But you didn't download anything illegally. No, that one I just watched. Somebody here. uploaded it illegally. Yes. <laughs> so at any rate, getting back to the space discussion. Sorry. Um, as soon as it became available legally, I went out and purchased a copy. And I ended up deleting my um, my the copies I had digitally because I didn't need them anymore. Uh, the, the DVD copy was superior to the, the digital format that I had. Um but yes, you don't. You are not entitled to content just because it exists. Let's say that a cool game comes out and it's more expensive than you are able to to justify in in your budget. You have no right to that content. It's not like you know just because it's more expensive than you think it's worth that you should go out and steal it. That's wrong. That's that is that is the very definition of wrong. <laughs> the way you do this, the way you go about this is that if you think content is too expensive for what it is worth, you do not buy the content. And if enough people do not buy the content, the content provider will have to change the way things are or the content provider goes out of business. You do not say, hey, that game is $60, but I think it's only worth $10, so I'm going to steal it for free. That does not work. (laughs) That is the wrong way to do it. That is stealing. I I feel compelled to point out that... uh that I feel that yes, it is uh, simply put, information does want to be free, and that was that's part of the the whole thing about copyright protection is that um, there is some provision for fair use, and there's also the expiration of copyright law. That's been the big um, the big thing about copyright law extensions that have come up, especially with the uh, Sony Bono uh, extension a few years ago. Yes, was the, the Mickey Mouse protection <laughs> extension is what some people derisively refer to that as. Well, yes, because, of course, Disney uh, is very serious about protecting characters such as Mickey Mouse. from Which makes perfect sense from a business perspective. Exactly from, exactly. from a creative perspective for the people who would like to build upon things that have already come before, which is, by the way, the history of human development um it's antithetical it's 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 harmful to keep extending copyright but for the people and the corporations who as we know in the united states are treated as people uh 
it makes perfect business sense to keep extending it as long as as possible to, in order to ensure that you've got that that exclusivity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I, and I assume that uh, probably in the next 50 to 75 years, there's going to be another attempt to lobby for from Disney or someone else who has uh, characters that are still very viable in the marketplace that have been around for a very long time. Yeah. They're, they're going to keep lobbying government to to uh, extend that. But the thing is, it's it's designed to expire specifically for the purposes of building upon that and and uh, and making changes to it. You can you could say things about uh, Pride and Prejudice and zombies. Right. Um, which is completely legal because um, you know the the person the work itself is in the public domain at this point. Right. And I should point out that the uh, WIPO treaties uh, have a provision for that. Things that are in the public domain are in the public domain, no matter where they are. Yeah. So if it's something that, say, in Britain isn't in the public domain, but uh, or or is in the public domain, but it wouldn't be in the United States, you know, in the co- the country it's published in, it's in public domain, then it then it counts. Yeah. So it's um, so that's sort of a thorny thing, and and you know, don't get the idea that we're uh, completely on the side of of all protecting information. But the thing is, if it's still under copyright. Uh, you know, it's still protected, and you have to abide by the law, or you're supposed to abide by the law, and that's you know where the line is. To, to go on, to go on record, as far as my opinion goes, with the whole copyright thing, I think copyright law is really messed up, and I, I think that a lot of the motivations that come from pir- you know, the, the pirates quote are at least semi-legitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, that that a lot of the problems come out of the fact that that the uh, copyright practices and uh, particularly DRM practices are so uh, over the top and ridiculous that it promotes an a, a uh, environment of piracy. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you video games are a great example, right? Mm-hmm. Like you get video games that have really heavy DRM on it. Sometimes that makes it difficult to play the game legitimately. Yes, I think that's a big part of why Spore ended up tanking as badly as it did, was yeah. because the initial complaints about the uh, uh, the fair play... Wait, no, that's Apple. That's Apple. Sorry. I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, the uh, the DRM they had included at Electronic Arts um, was so... you know It actually hampered playing the game. I had trouble playing it on my Mac because of the DRM, and as soon as they removed that, sent me the download, and it updated, it was fine to play after that. But, you know, by that point, the reviews had come out. Um, you know, it's still, I looked the other day, it's still uh, something like two stars on Amazon, and most of the negative comments are over the DRM, which has been removed years ago. Chris, I got a question for you. Okay. All right, let's say that you have purchased a game, such as Spore. Okay. Okay. Uh, and the DRM has made the game virtually unplayable. Right. But you have the option of illegally downloading a version of that game that has the DRM broken. Right. Which would make the game perfectly playable on your system. Right. So you've already bought the game. Mm -hmm. I paid for it. You paid for it. Uh, Would you download the illegal copy? No, I would not. All right. Now... Do you think it's ethically wrong for someone to to get the uh, illegal copy, knowing that they, like, let's say they don't even bother to take the Spore version out of their box? They're not going to give it away. They, the box is just sitting there in the closet. So they're they're going to keep a copy if the uh, if the feds show up. You know, no, I see. I bought a copy of this yeah. thing. It's in my closet. Exactly. Uh, you still find? Do you still find that ethically troubling? Yeah, I do find it eth- ethically troubling. So this is one of those gray areas that's hard for me to. 
it's hard for me. I, I, I tend to feel sympathy for the pirates because on the one hand, I think, hey, I've purchased something. They've promised me a particular experience, and I am I am not a – I followed all the rules. Mm-hmm. I've done everything they've asked of me, and the experience is not what they said because they've put so much protection on this that it, I can't run it. Mm-hmm. Um, another good example is, let's say you get a game like the ones Ubisoft put out, where the right. only way you could play it is if you could connect to their servers. Yes. And that was how they, they put on DRM. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story, what Ubisoft did was, for a couple of the games they put out, you would have to have a persistent internet connection to the Ubisoft servers to confirm that you had a legitimate copy of the game. Mm-hmm. And if you lost internet connection during any point of playing this game, and these were single-person games. They were not multiplayer games. Right. You, you don't You aren't using the network for anything like that. You're just using it to verify the copy of the game. But if you lost the internet connection, you would no longer be able to play the game until your internet connection was restored mm-hmm. for a single-player game. Now, again, pirates were breaking the codes on this and then offering up the game for free, essentially saying that if you purchase this game and you want to play it, then you should b- go ahead and get this version of the game because you don't have to worry about your internet connection. Um I can kind of see their argument because the DRM has gone so far as to make the the product unusable. Right. But at the same time you are supporting this this pirate piracy environment. So it's really an honor system thing in a way. You're saying, "Hey, you know, uh I I I want to support this company. I want this this I've paid for this this uh content. I just want to have access to it now." Yeah. Uh it's a complicated issue. Mm-hmm. You know that's that one's not very easy. Same thing with like um, uh, a lot of the music services that came out, where the DRM was tied to servers, and then the servers were going offline, and the music service services were saying, "Hey, you know all those songs you bought from us? Yeah, you might want to burn those to CD like now, because we're going to turn the servers off in a month, and you won't be able to play those files anymore." Yes, yes, more than one name, big name, did that. Yeah, and a few years ago, in these cases, like you could argue, well, you've only purchased a license to listen that mu- to that music from so-and-so. But when you purchased the license, it was understood to be in perpetuity. Yeah. Right? There was no time limit on that. Like, you can listen to this song until January 17th, 2008. That, that wasn't in the agreement. Yeah. Now, see, the thing, the thing about this, this is, if you've bought a copy of it and you find it's unplayable, speaking of games still, um, and you've gone out and downloaded a pirate copy, the company still, even though you've purchased a copy legally, the thing that, that bothers me too, other than the ethics standpoint, is the company doesn't know what's going on. They have, the, the company has no idea what, that, that you have encountered this trouble with the DRM, that you're upset about it, that you're downloading a, an illegal copy of it. And, you know, I think it's important to, one of the things is, I'm not saying that piracy is good. I ethically still have a trouble pirating a copy of that game. But, you know, it, it would be, it would have been good to have known that up front. And not spend your money with them because the more people spend money on it, intending you know, now say you know that it's going on. Your friend said, "Oh, this is a great game, but it's unplayable with this DRM." If you go out and buy a copy of this and then pirate the game, you've paid for it and you're still playing it. Then and then you're still supporting the company applying that DRM to yeah, the game. What you're saying is that you are not letting the market correct itself. That's right. Because you are participating in this kind of charade that yeah. everything is cool. Yeah. You know? Uh, I, I can see that. Thing. I totally see that. Yeah, yeah, it is a weird thing. Um, uh, 
like I said before, if you want content and they have a certain asking price for it and you can't or won't meet that asking price, then you go without that content. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you want content and you're willing to pay what they're asking for it, there's usually no problem till you encounter this DRM issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you encounter the DRM issue, then that's where things got gray for me. And it was a little, like it was still a little darker for you than it was for me. Um, But here's another, one other example I want to, or one other point I want to throw out, uh, is that, Part of the justification for piracy comes from some disingenuous statements that various uh, content providers and organizations have made mm-hmm. regarding how much money they lose as a result of piracy. Right. So they're not helping themselves, right? The, the, you've got the pirates on one side and the these organizations on the other. And you have organizations saying, hey, we're losing you know, X billion dollar amount per year due to piracy. Mm-hmm. Well, the Government Accountability Office filed a report in 2010. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the United States Government Accountability yes, Office. Yes, yes, the U.S. Government Accountability Office. The report was intellectual property observations on efforts to quantify the economic effects of counterfeit and pirated goods. This went beyond just digital media. This was all sorts of counterfeit goods, right? Mm-hmm. Well... In this case, uh, they said that it was impractical to impossible Mm -hmm. to figure out how much money was lost because you can't quantify factors like uh, how much, uh, you know, how how many of the people who stole something would have purchased it otherwise. Yeah, there's really no way to know unless you do a survey with them. And, And, you know, we get down to piracy, people aren't always. Honor system again, right? Honest. Yeah. So. If you can't, if you, if there's no way of knowing how many people would have bought it if they hadn't stolen it, mm-hmm. it's hard to say what the actual economic impact is. Now we know that there is an economic impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, if nothing else, there's an economic impact in the sense that studios and and companies are pouring money into finding ways to prevent piracy. Mm-hmm. So there's an economic impact, right? It's not direct. It's not saying that oh we lost twelve bucks because you downloaded that album illegally. It's saying hey we lost X amount of money because that's how much we had to pour into trying to prevent people from downloading stuff illegally. Mm-hmm. So it's a complicated issue. Um, I, ultimately, I would say, don't pirate stuff. Like, don't if don't illegally download things. You know, it's you again. If you if you bought something in one medium and you convert it to digital, and then you lose the digital copy, you still have the physical medium, even though it's not at hand. You mm-hmm. wait. Yeah. Until you get your hands on that physical medium again, because that then you're following the the rules of fair use. Yeah, but just going out and getting something because you bought it once before is that's a slippery slope. Yeah, I mean, it really it, is. It doesn't it doesn't take much longer before you get to the point where you're saying, hey, you know, I bought books one through ten of the series, and book eleven is out, and um, you know, it's it's already out of print, and I would have bought it, so I'm just going to download it. Yeah, that's you know, again, that's it's leading you down a pathway that is more uh, difficult to justify. Yeah, and I don't uh, just as a note that I thought of is sidebar. Um, it, there's another reason why you might not want to be running around downloading a lot of uh, torrents mm-hmm. if you don't have to. <laughs> well, of course, torrenting is not in and of itself illegal. It is right. a method of sharing files. Right. But if you are de- downloading illegal files, uh, especially if you don't know who you're downloading them from, 
There's a, there's a possibility. Issue. There's a security issue. There's a possibility that you're going to download something very nasty because uh, people who like to start botnets like to put uh, malware on servers like that and disguise it as other files. Yeah, an unnamed friend of mine uh, recently posted something on Facebook uh, where this unnamed friend said, I found a virus on my computer. It's something called a rootkit. How bad is that? <laughs> and did not like my answer of, that is very, very bad. <laughs> That's about as bad as it gets, really. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, giving you backdoor access to your computer, that's, that's I can't think of that's something that's worse than that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's obviously, di- laws are different no matter where you go. I mean, they're, they're all going to be similar in some ways and different in others. So, I mean, it's, it's up to your local laws depending on, on some of these questions about whether or not it's, it's ethic, uh, legal to do that. And, you know, ethically, this is an issue with which we're all going to have to come to grips. But, um, you know, in, in general, I think Jonathan's right. If it's, uh, if there's a question of whether or not it could be illegal, then you, you shouldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, that might mean that you know you campaign to have laws changed, and that I I'm fully in support of that. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think that's the way to go. It's it's much better than going all Batman and saying I'm above the law because that that's a losing game. It loses for everyone ultimately because if you get caught, then you have to face these incredibly ridiculous fines that that organizations like the RIAA and the MPAA demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, be placed on people who violate the the copyright laws, uh, but you also hurt everybody else in the sense that these companies continue to try and find ways to prevent piracy that ultimately hurt honest consumers the most. Yep, yeah, but it sounds it sounds like uh, Antrix is is you know a, a legal consumer. He's already purchased the music in the first place so he wants to do the right thing um, and I think most people do the, the producers want to produce stuff that people will buy the people want to fork over their money for it it's just that uh, there has to be a level of trust between them for the for the uh, transaction to work out okay and the DRM and copyright law uh, you know just complicates that matter of trust agreed yes yes neither side is wholly without blame true so with that being said please don't steal this <laughs> actually this podcast is freely available so go ahead and distribute it all you like absolutely uh, and tell all your friends to listen to it and if you have any comments or questions uh, you can let us know on Facebook and Twitter our handle there is techstuffhsw or you can email us our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com and Chris and I will talk to you again about something else I'm sure that'll be ethically disturbing <laughs> really soon If you're a Tech Stuff fan, be sure to check us out on Twitter. Tech Stuff HSW is our handle, and you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash techstuffhsw. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. 
So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 